All right, so I want to talk uh, on one of my favorite subjects today, making the Lord your refuge. <laughs> How many are feeling like you need refuge lately? And um, it's so important for us as believers because there's a lot of voices calling out to us to take refuge in this, take refuge in that. Maybe not directly. They're not walking around saying, I am your refuge. They're just offering us a lifestyle, offering a solution, uh, offering ways to conduct your life. And there's just a lot of voices out there, a lot of voices, right? And I just think it's really important that we as the people of God get first things first. It's really, really important. Then when we get the first things first, then the, all the other things begin to, to fall right into place. We don't put first things first. We make God our refuge first. Then we get in really big trouble. So we don't want to be presuming. We want provision to come out. We want refuge, but we want it God's way in our own life. And even for the life, I'd say, of the church in America and also for our government even. We want to make sure that we're going to take refuge in something that's, it's something that's uh, of God and something that will last, right? So Psalm 16, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. That's a great prayer, especially these days. There's all kinds of things uh, to be uh, careful about, right? Not the least of which is this pandemic and all of it. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I really like that. You know, that sort of straightens everything out, doesn't it? It sort of makes everything, puts it all into order. Just say, Lord, you know what? Apart from you, I don't have any good thing. Nothing good happens without you. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. That's a little prophetic activity there from the Lord. That's, he says that, but also we can say that. The noble ones, the ones that know Jesus, the ones that have been shaped by Jesus, the ones that are full of the Holy Spirit, these are, in the Bible's words, noble people. You're a noble people. One of the greatest pleasures we should always have is gathering together with the noble people, with people who know God, walking with God, and doing their best to walk with God in a humble and expectant way. So, verse 1 you can expect God to protect you. I really like that. Matter of fact, I always wear out the Lord's Prayer in various dimensions, but one of the parts of the Lord's Prayer that is so powerful and meaning to me, meaningful to me, and especially these days, but, but always, it's always been a real cornerstone of my prayer life. Matter of fact, as you look through the Lord's Prayer, what we know is the Lord's Prayer, we just see all these uh, pieces in there, all these things uh, that are so important to our life. And so, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us our day, our daily bread. But here's one that's not commonly understood very well. It's part of our normal prayer life. And lead us not in temptation, and that can actually be translated testing. In other words, don't lead us into trouble, but deliver us from the evil one. Keep us from traps, from things that might affect us that day. Matter of fact, it's just a great prayer to pray every day, right? I put accidents in there. Keep me from sickness. What a simple little thing. So if you actually believe what you pray, and this Lord's Prayer is Jesus teaching us how to pray, then one thing he's telling us is to pray, Lord, keep me out of trouble. Keep me away from ambushes. Keep me away from attacks. It's one of the most powerful prayers we can pray. And I find with a lot of people, they don't. I wear this one out. I wear this prayer out. I mean, I always asking, Lord, deliver me. Keep me out of Keep me out of a test. Keep me out, you know, I'm on the freeway. Keep me out of a test. Keep me safe. Just simple. It just takes a few words, but it's an act of humility on the one side. God gives grace to the humble. You're acknowledging God's your ultimate protector. And on the other, it's, it's just uh, this connection with God that comforts me. You know, the pandemic raging and all that stuff. 
I hope some of you are wa- wa- you understand that this part of the Lord's Prayer, you can wear this part out. Lord, lead me away from testing. Lead me away from the wrong decision. Lead me from the wrong place. Lord, lead me away from the wrong freeway, right? What a powerful thing. This is all part of making the Lord our refuge. Only in the Lord can you truly appreciate what you have. If anyone or anything takes God's place, it's not a good thing. This is kind of important um, because I think this is kind of a first things first prayer, first things first psalm. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So no matter what we're thinking about politically, no matter what we're thinking about medically, no matter what we're thinking about for our children, for our jobs, listen, we have to settle this matter. Apart from you, I have no good thing. If you didn't give it to me, I don't want it. If it's not a you, I don't want anything to do with it, right? This is a critical thing. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Why? Because you're in charge. And you're the one that looks after me. This is actually a looking after prayer. This is how we settle things in the highest authority in the land. Highest authority in the world. Highest authority in the universe. We make the Lord our refuge. And it's no simple thing. It, it, it's not, it sounds so simple. It sounds like, wow. But it's powerful. It's so important. I don't, can't think of in this day many more important, more important prayers uh, to pray. Lord, keep me safe. I take refuge under you. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So everything that we think is a good thing has to go through the strainer of God's word and God and evaluate it to see if it's a good thing, right? (laughs) Right. So delighting in the Lord also means delighting in his people. I I really like that. I don't know if you caught that. I say of the Lord, of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. So, the Lord delights in us as his people, right? So delighting in the Lord also means delighting in his people. This is really, really important because this is the way he sees it. That's why he likes us to all be gathered together and come together. This is why he likes us to have fellowship. He, it's part of his program. We are God with skin on. We represent him in so many ways. That's why he gives people gifts. He gives them gifts, abilities in various ways to help each other. But I like the word noble, don't you? Noble means great, powerful, majestic, mighty, splendid, stately, distinguished. In this time, in this season, uh, the church is rapidly trying to become denobilized by the world. You notice that? And I want us to make sure that we understand the nobility of who we really, really are. We are great, powerful, majestic, mighty, splendid, stately, and distinguished. This is heaven's view of who we really are. We don't have to be arrogant about it, but there is a distinction. And God does make a distinction between us and the world. And God loves his noble ones. That's why we can come to him so directly as we are in this psalm. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. And that's why we have to be careful how we treat other members of the church. By church, I mean both in here, but also other branches of the church. They may be off a little bit. They may have a little bit different persuasion. But as long as they're born again, they're noble. You've got to be careful how you talk about God's kids. Amen. I don't like it when people don't talk nice about my kids. If they ever do that. They end up in my black book. You know. <laughs> 
They really end up in Janice's black book, man. Don't, don't talk negative about her kids, man. I wonder if the father might be like that. Whew. I wonder if he might be thinking that same way, right? And maybe his kids aren't always having their best day, <laughs> right? Sometimes other people, parts of the church, aren't having their best day. But still, they're the noble ones. They're called by God, so we have to be careful. And you know, God's a really good father. He'll shape them up, you know. He'll shape you up. <laughs> this thing is actually more about you than his others. But still, when we make the Lord our refuge, this is part of it. We make not only, only, only refuge with God, but also we take refuge. I feel refuge in here a little bit, don't you? I mean, it's just so nice that we've got this time where we're worshiping. I feel safe. I feel comfortable. I feel covered. How exposed did you feel you know, when we're just doing the live stream. Now, we worked really hard on that live stream, so be nice to our live stream, but still. It's just so nice to see faces and to be with the noble ones. There's nothing that can replace that. Nothing that can replace the noble ones. We're, we, got, we got God in us. And there's just a lot of God in here. <laughs> right? And you get to feel it when you're with the noble ones, right? When we're with each other. The world will never understand that. They will never understand that. I wonder how much of the church understands that. That's probably the key thing, right? But the world will never understand that. They'll understand why do you need to assemble, get it on TV, whatever, but they'll never understand. But I checked where two or three gathered together. There I am in their midst. It's good enough for me. <laughs> it's pretty powerful. Two or three. Doesn't even have to have a lot of people, but that's because we're noble, because... We have God in us, powerful, majestic, mighty, splendid. That's why we can get a word from a lowly prophetic person years ago stating our destiny clear as a bell and it be filled for the, fulfilled for the next 20 years, right? <laughs> right? Because of the noble ones. Every once in a while we get it really right, right? So look at Psalm 16. Let's move on here. Verses 4 to 6. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. Wow. I will not pour out libations of blood to libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Verse 4 and 5 are contrasts. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. How many know that in our time there's a lot of people running after other gods? Do you know serving other gods only means increased suffering? So I'm not worshiping another god. God is really whoever you organize your life around and get life from, wherever you get your wisdom from, whatever, whoever you're listening to. So we don't want to be listening to the wrong people. We want to listen to God, right? Part of this time that we're in is actually, uh, I think, a refining of God's people saying, now, what is God really saying? Really. And it's really good. It's been a great time for us because we've been forced to say, hey, what is God saying to me about my life? And I don't know there's been a time when we've had more evaluation of our life than now. How about you guys? I mean, about your personal life, about your family, about your household. I don't know if there's ever been a time, right? So this is a, an amazing time. But it's so important that we settle this issue those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. So if people are going the wrong way, wrong philosophies of life, their lot is going to be suffer more and more. 
But if we walk in the truth, the way God wants us to walk, then we're going to do better and better. We're going to do better and better. It may not look like that in the beginning, because sometimes those who serve God don't look like the rest of the world, and they're not too visible. But they say without uh, any equivocation, Lord, you alone are my portion of my cup. You make my lot secure. Lord, you are the only one and can make my lot secure. I think when I say a lot, I like to think of allotments, our possessions. See, God secures all the things that are most precious to us. He secures all the things that are the most precious to us. Verse 5, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You alone are my portion and my cup. I like Matthew 6, 21 to 23. It says it a different way. But it's so powerful and simple, right? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then it just goes on to talk about serving two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. It talks about serving God and money. But how many know that in today's time, there's a lot of masters, a lot of people crying out for authority and control, really, over our lives? Maybe in an unparalleled way. So many voices. Do this, do that. So much philosophy. Maybe it's because of the increase of communication, our ability to hear and listen and be on every form of media and, and not, not just come home at night and turn the TV, but in your phone or wherever you get these messages and everything. So there's voices going out all over. But God secures all the most precious things, the things the most precious to us. He's the one, right? That's why it's so important to line our walk up with the Lord. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So wherever our treasure is, that's, that's the most important thing. God says, I secure those most treasured things. I secure them. I take care of them. Aren't you glad that it's true? So we just have to make God number one in our life because he secures our boundary lines. He secures our protection. And there are just things then that we do that we do as a priority with that. So if the God secures your line, secures your life, then you want to put him first. And the way you gather together, in your lifestyle, everything, your philosophy of life, and especially maybe I could say in your personal life, in your personal prayer life, in your personal walk with the Lord. This starts really with our heart. All Christianity starts from an individual heart, right? And then it moves into the corporate setting. So hopefully we have a bunch of noble ones with their hearts secured, but then we secure our hearts as a church as well. That's why it's so important for us to make the Lord our refuge so we can get our marching orders from the king, from God, and not from some stray philosophy. So we make the habit of making the Lord our refuge and securing our heart, then we'll hear the right things, right? We'll do the right thing. And we're not going to do st- stupid stuff. Where our treasure is, where our heart is. And we're just going to go where our treasure is. And that treasure is amazing. It pays such huge dividends. It even pays financially in the long run. Just that you may go through a certain test or whatever, but where your treasure is is such a critical thing. It pays huge dividends. That's why it pays to make the Lord your refuge. David's writing this. He knew well about this and his other writings. He's writing, the Lord your refuge. That's where it's all at. You know, as king of Israel, he had to deal with so many things. 
So many dangerous things, so much rebellion, so many attacks, and he secured his heart, making the Lord his refuge. He did that so well. That's why he wrote the Psalms. That's why he's especially good at writing the Psalms. He made his heart secured with the Lord. Extending the pleasant boundaries lines of your life. I want to look at uh, number six. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You know what? As my life ebbs away, hopefully it won't ebb away for many, many years, but it all is in transition, right, eventually. You know, this is one of my greatest prayers. Lord, I want to just say at the end of it all, you know, the boundary lines have fallen to me in really nice places. So we're talking sort of about property, obviously. So I could have a cruddy piece of property, (laughs) right, next to the train station with all that noise, or I could have a beautiful chalet in the mountains. I would say, oh, the boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant place. Can you believe that my house is located with this incredible view? That's what he's saying. The boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. I really like that saying. I, I want to be able to say about my life, and as the noble ones, we can say that about our lives. Even if they're not quite where they need to be, they're moving that direction. Why are they moving that direction? Because you're asking God to move them. You know, we can ask God to move the boundary lines of our life. Our job situation, our family situation. We always have access to the King of Kings and the Lord Lords. And in the end, as we make God our refuge, this is really what we're talking about here, hymn number one, eventually the boundary lines will fall to us in pleasant places. I've watched a number of people for a long time now. And I've noticed without fail that those that make the Lord number one in their family, their household, They're so fully committed to the Lord. It's always true. The boundary lines fall to them in pleasant places. Sometimes it feels like maybe that's not true. You know, maybe maybe I'm in a certain phase of my life, whatever. But just be consistent. If you always make the Lord your refuge, at the end of the day, you're going to say, wow, the lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. This is something that I want to say more than anything else. And I can say it over huge portions of my life. There are some things that I want to still things happen. But at the end of the day, I want to be able to say, wow, you know what? I walk with God. I, t- I made him my refuge. And man, the lines have fallen to me in really pleasant places. It's really good for me. It's really good for me. I'll tell you, despite this problem uh, that we're in with regard to the COVID and the whole rest of the thing, one thing we've tried to do is to be faithful to make the Lord our refuge as a church. We've tried everything we could. We didn't, you know, and sometimes we took a few steps that maybe looked a little strange or a little bit anti-whatever, uh, but uh, we just made sure that we kept our life clear and our the Lord our refuge clear from everything from the assembling of ourselves together, whether it's outside or inside, to just the way we've continued with our prayer life and our prophetic life and uh, our worship life and all the pieces. And so when we do that, the lines fall to us in pleasant places. For the life of me, I cannot figure out how you can just shut down church for six months and have the boundary lines fall to you in pleasant places. I, I just don't understand. But in the end, if we make the Lord our refuge, and He's number one, and assembling ourselves together makes a difference, and walking with God makes a difference, not only alone, but with the noble ones, we'll be able to say this. And I tell you, during this thing, I'm just so happy. I feel like, uh, I, I love to say this because I, I t- tell John this from time to time and and my wife and others around me, I just 
you know, I, I think the boundary lines have fallen to us in really pleasant places. I mean, they could have fallen in such a really bad place. But for the people in our church that I know, and some of you are still trying to catch up in your business or whatever, but as a whole, as a group of you, the boundary lines have fallen to us in pleasant places. We're prospering. We're moving ahead. This is the way it should be. Because if you make God your refuge, and it has certain things of faith that you have to do to make God your refuge, sometimes they might be risky. They look risky on the outside, but on the inside, in the end of the day, they're not risky at all. They're the most important things. You just put God first, make Him your refuge, please Him, and then the boundary lines fall to you in pleasant places. So I don't know about you, but I like to extend the pleasant boundary lines of my life. How about you? <laughs> so your boundary lines don't have to stay in a certain area. They can extend and get better. And there's a couple of key things that I think are really helpful for your boundary lines so that your life turns out really, really, really well. Okay? So Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in other words, be a forgiver. Forgive people when they do wrong. Hold short accounts. And also, could I just uh, warn you a little bit? Even people you don't know, be careful. There's authorities and people that I don't particularly care for, but I have to be careful about my heart. Because i got to be careful how I judge them and what I uh, put on them and how I look at them. I think there's a righteous judgment and then there's that angry, uh, un, uh, illogical thing to get into. It's a space which I think demonic things take advantage of. So when we judge, we judge with wisdom. We judge with mercy. We judge in the way the Lord judges, right? And also, uh, we also leave up some judgment to the Lord himself. Because not everything we can just... we got to be careful about that, right? It's really, really important. So when we are giving people the benefit of the doubt, people especially that have to do with our personal life, they're treating us wrong, and we forgive and let them off the hook, then guess what? We just expanded the boundary lines. Well, that, thing's, well, that, that doesn't sound like... They're, 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 they're misused. They're, they're <laughs> yeah, Jesus knows all about that. He does. And the people of God have known all about that since the beginning. And by the time the Roman Empire got to the third century, Christianity had conquered it from the inside out. So, being a forgiver, learning how to judge with righteous judgment, being careful about how it affects you and how it affects your view of perfectly pagan people <laughs> at times. Those that don't know the Lord, they just act like pagans, right? That doesn't mean that we let them run roughshod over us, but there's some balance in here. And it's really, really important to know that the one that we take refuge in knows all about their sin and their problems. And actually, we have a few things we can do about that besides complain. And that is, we can actually gather together and actually pray for those people. When Paul was formulating his uh, theology and the church is formulating a theology. One of the key things that came out in that whole theology was pray for your leaders. Pray for those over you. Pray for those because they realized that if the leaders were doing well over them, right, then they would do well. If you have too much judgment in your heart and you hate them, so that's the thing. You can see what they're doing and be negative, but you can, if you go too far with that, you get to this hatred place. When you get to that place, it's very difficult to pray for them, honestly, isn't it? 
And ultimately, listen, guys, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how smart your favorite party is, political party. I don't care how smart you think you are. Ultimately, this thing's got to be fixed by God. He's going to have to move and remove however he wants to. So it's important that we keep our eyes clear enough to pray with some measure of integrity for even the evil ones, the bad ones. For heaven's sake, the early church, one of its deepest prayers, they prayed for Nero. They were praying, you see it in the writings. They were praying over that situation over and over again, as horrible as he was. So be a forgiver. When you forgive, when you hold the right judgment, guess what? The Lord extends the pleasant boundary lines of your own life. Ask boldly, which really gets to the next place, because sometimes that's all we're left with, is asking boldly. The question is, uh, are you asking as boldly as boldly you are giving out criticism? Are you boldly coming to a throne of grace, asking people to gather with you, boldly praying? Is that matching up with how your opinions are forming from the latest news broadcast? I think it's kind of important. Because the thing of it is, we're not helpless. If we were helpless, it would be one thing. But look what he says, Matthew 7. This is either true or not, isn't it? Ask, and it will be given to you. Personally, is it true or is it not? If it's not true, then, wow, that's pretty sad. That's getting to the hopeless territory of your life. I'm a big asker. I ask about everything. I ask about the weather. <laughs> I'm a big baby about the weather. I ask about earthquakes. I ask before they even happen. I ask about everything you can imagine in my life. Because I make the Lord my refuge, and I got this privilege. I can go to the throne room of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I can start asking. Ask, and what will happen? It will be given to you. Why? Because you're nobility in God's sight. How many know nobles have a little bit more throw uh, a little more, little more um, uh, uh, influence on the throne, on, on the king, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Knock, 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 and the door will be opened to you. For how many who ask receive? Wow. Anybody see that? Are you reading it? Yeah. Everyone. That's a pretty big thing. That's a bold statement. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. <laughs> that wasn't nice. <laughs> Jesus said it. I guess we have a little bit of tendency to go the wrong way, right? If you, though you are evil, your motives are usually mixed somewhere or another, right? No, <laughs> very clear there. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Oh, what a time to ask the Father for good gifts and everything imaginable around us, from your business to the government to your family to your marriage, whatever. So in everything do to others that you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. I think that's an interesting little piece uh, put in there as well. Because we're talking about making the Lord our refuge. This is the way God runs his kingdom. One of my favorite passages in the whole path of scripture is in First Chronicles. And uh, it's a story of this guy named Jehoshaphat. I really, really like Jehoshaphat a lot. And, uh, well, I, wait a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. i got to go talk about another guy I like a lot, too. His name is Jabez. Remember the Jabez prayer? Sorry, I got my wrong reference there. <laughs> this thing blows me away. Remember when that little book came out? You know, and sold a billion copies. 
And all the guy did was he just talked about this very simple principle. And for whatever reason, I don't know what happened, but everybody went crazy over this little book. And what, what was the book about? Why did it go crazy? Why? That's a really good question. A little book about like, I asked and God gave me something. That was it. Thank you very much. Here's a nice little book. You can read it too. I don't know how many books that sold. It's been in this book a long time, but for whatever reason, I think God was trying to say something at that time. I think he just took that little book and went, I really like this. I really like this book. Do you remember the Jabez book? How many remember the Jabez? I still have a little copy, but it's so small, I lost it five times already and then found it again, right? It's, it's this tiny book. It gets lost really. But look what he says. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Now, what made Jabez more honorable than his brothers? His mother, first of all, he didn't have a good start. His, his mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. So that's not a good start. But anyway, <laughs> I think she got to like him more as he got older. But Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. That's all the guy said. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm, so I'll be free from pain. And God granted his request. Could it actually be this simple to extend the boundary lines of your life to this? Uh, God, bless me. Enlarge my territory. I need more land and more money. And uh, keep me from harm. I don't like it when people attack me. And so also, would you please leave pain out too? Amen. This book sold all over the world, over and over and over again. People are buying a guy. Who knows how wealthy he got just from putting a little book and put that in there and off it goes. But it was a truth that hit a nerve. Could it be that simple? This ordinary guy, he's more honorable. So there's this list of descendants. You just look through these lists, name upon name, how the Bible goes into that sometimes, you know, page after page, who bought, who did this, and who was the firstborn, who married, whatever, and all this. And then it just tops from it. Hey there, and by the way, as we're going through the genealogy, there's this guy, his name was Jabez. He was more honorable. Why was he more honorable? Well, first it says his mother gave birth to him in pain. That's not so great. But then we go here. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Give me more. More influence. More for my children. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm. I just, it almost feels like, is that legal? I mean, does that really work? Some of us treat that kind of communication like it's illegal. The Lord secures your boundary license. Be bold. We see this, of course, in Luke chapter 6 as well, verses 37 and 38. Don't judge and you'll not be condemned. Do not condemn and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So your generosity here, and the lack of condemnation, judgment, forgiving, all that, all rolled into this place, and the result is, whatever you measure out, it will be measured back to you. That should be both a fearful thing, but also a great opportunity to expand the boundary lines of your life. Good measure. Press down, shaken together. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, extending the boundary lines of my life. Isaiah chapter 58 is something similar. And this is one thing that I've tried to make as an integral part of our corporate life in the church because I know these promises. If a people wants to be blessed, you can just, all of us do that, and then it gets even better, right? Because all of us are giving, all of us are sharing. So this Isaiah 58 Wow, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice? Yes, Lord. 
There's a lot of injustice around my country and around our life. Untie the cords of the yes. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? Wait, 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 wait a minute. You mean, wait. I, I like the untying the cords and break and the chains of injustice. We've got a lot of injustice around here. Well, here, uh, is it... Isn't this the way to do this? Hey, why don't you share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. In a time like this, especially we're in, I highly suggest this lifestyle. <laughs> we should be more about the weak than ever before, personally, in every which way we can. But... There's amazing promises. It's not like without promise. You can't outgive God in this. Wow, he's busy doing this. Look what the promises are. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help, and he'll say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. Are you kidding me? Man, this is good stuff. The Lord will guide you always. How many need guidance? He will always satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, even when the land is sun-scorched. And I think this qualifies for a sun-scorched land now. He will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like springs whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. You'll raise up the age-old uh, foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I'm going a little further, but this is what I think God wants us to be. This is who we should be. This is who we can be, right? And there's huge promise to it. Yes, it's going to cost us something. Could I just say something to you that are having trouble with your finances or maybe you're in a place where you've been homeless? Look, these promises work for you just like anybody else. They work for you. Make sure that you stop doing the bad stuff and also spend yourself on behalf of somebody else that's not doing so well. You invest. It's one of the best ways out of trouble that I know of. Because sometimes when you get down enough, you just feel like a constant victim and then people start treating you like a victim. You're not a victim. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the boundary lines are supposed to fall to you in pleasant places. You want to expand your boundary lines, lines, then be as generous as you possibly can with whatever the Lord gives you. Don't be a hoarder. You can be a hoarder and be the poorest person in the world. Learn to do this lifestyle. The answer is there for all of us and even for our culture there's so many things in this whole thing and uh, I just think it's so important for the church to address these issues now more than ever before in our culture because it even gets into justice related issues and and then this is where we could actually bump up and have something in common maybe with some governmental figures and people we don't like very much but maybe we could agree at least on this that we'll do some of this kind of thing albeit from whatever motives they have or we have Here's the last one, Psalm 16:4. I call it keeping the thief out. So John 10:10 10, 10 says, "I came that they might have life and have it abundantly." In Psalm 16, uh, verse uh, four, let me just read these verses here. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods who take up their names on my lips. So there's a lot of false worship going on. So this is one thing we have to stand for. We have to stand for the truth. We can't be running after other gods. And we can't be making gods out of things that are not gods. And there's a lot of worship going on right now. 
So I will say that. There's a lot of false worship going up. And guess what the worship's turned to? It's antichrist kind of worship. The worship's not even towards some particular deity. It's men. The worship of humanity is now coming forward. And that is actually the spirit of antichrist. We are amazing. We can do amazing things. This whole political talk that I hear sometimes, sometimes I have to scratch my head. It sounds like worship. It sounds like worship. I mean, they actually worship at these altars. Wow. But here's the thing. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. But the people who run after the right God, what happens to them? They prosper more and more. The boundary lines, next verse, fall to them in pleasant places. We may not see it right away, but you'll see it more and more. God will make a distinction between those who serve God and those who do not. And I think we're already beginning to see it. At least I'm beginning to feel it uh, from my vantage point, and I think we're seeing more and more. Really, really more in all kinds of areas, in every way. The way we educate our kids, the way we are, how healthy we are, every arena, even financially. Every, financially. I mean, people are looking for godly people to hire. They're looking for anybody to hire at the moment in some industries, but <laughs> I found that out the hard way yesterday. I don't go into that. Should I go into that? I'll probably get in this judgmental place. I better not do that, Judge. Keep me up from it, Janice. All right. <clears throat> so let's look at Psalm 16, verses 7 to 9. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure. Wow. Becoming a praiser and a gazer. (laughs) Very good advice for this time. This is David speaking. He praises the Lord all the time. Who counsels him. Even at night my heart instructs. See, he's made the Lord his refuge in the evening hours in the quiet places. Keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him I won't be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure. You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. So he, he's making the Lord him ref, his, his refuge in this um, bold and, and beautiful way. I, I, I really, really uh, like that passage. In Psalm 27, verses 1 to 6. See, David knew he had this amazing connection between worship and protection. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. When you make the Lord your refuge, our enemies will stumble and fall. That's an amazing promise. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. So put your favorite political party in there. <laughs> or whoever else is besieging you. Nasty neighbor down the street. What? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. I'm not worried. Okay, so Listen. There's a lot of fear in the atmosphere. And I'm afraid it's the wrong kind of fear. The world is just acting like the world. Don't freak out. They're just being them. But look, though an army besieged me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident. When they ask me, Lord, the only, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Wait a minute. That seems like kind of a withdrawal approach, you know. What about Goliath and cutting people's heads off and all that? Well, you know what? 
for in the day of trouble he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music. This does not make any sense whatsoever. He's talking about real live enemies. This is not like a theory thing. This guy's the king of Israel. and He's got people trying to knock his block off every other day. If it's not the army surrounding him, it's his own son. His own family. This guy's constantly, constantly in danger. His whole life, from beginning to end, chased around by Saul for years, he knows what what he's talking about. He understands political intrigue more than any person alive. This is his conclusion. One thing I ask from the Lord, that's only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house where he made the Lord his refuge. He made sure that whatever's happening in the day of trouble, he's in that sacred tent. That is the temple. And he's listening to worship. He's worshiping in the place where God was. And this is a sacred tent where God's people come together. It's a sacred tent. Did you know that? When we gather together, who comes when we gather together? And Jesus himself. He comes in a way that he doesn't come individually. The sacred tent is so powerful. The gathering of God's people. And he... He, and, and worship and all the other things. I will sacrifice the shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord, making the Lord your refuge. David, of all people, understood this. Don't you understand the enemies out there? Don't you understand they're around? Yes, he's being pressed on every side. He's being attacked all the time. His own family is doing him in. He had to leave his own palace several times, <laughs> spit on, on the way out. <clears throat> he understood. Yet he wrote this song. He understood. He understood. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. <laughs> wow. Don't turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And one of the things he did was he spent a lot of time gazing, worshiping, praying in the temple. He understood that was his ultimate Security. So he was a praiser and he was a gazer. <laughs> One of my favorite stories in the entire Bible is Second Chronicles chapter 20. It's so hard to understand when you understand the dimensions of this whole problem that we're talking about. When I'm, when, as I read this story, we're talking about literally hundreds of thousands of sh- soldiers. We're not talking about a little skirmish in the desert. We're talking about a major war that's beginning to erupt. In other words, this king that's coming up from the south with this guy... Uh, the, the king of Israel, what, what's happening is they're attacking and they, they're trying to overrun Israel. It's, the man's Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. I mean, this was hundreds of thousands of soldiers. This is a lot of people, a vast army. Because Hezekiah himself, uh, Jehoshaphat himself, had a lot of soldiers. If I remember that last time I checked that, I think he had something like a million-man army. So when he's concerned that an army's coming from the south, it's not like a couple of scouting groups. Otherwise, he can just send a few troops off and that's it. No, no. They're coming to take over. They're gathered together. They're storming up on the other side of the mountains. They're coming up by the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazazan Tamar, whatever that is. Oh, it's already in Engedi. I know where Engedi is. Alarm, that's on the other side. It's coming up that side, right by the Dead Sea, coming up and going to cross over into Jerusalem. Alarm, Joshua resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. That's the first thing he does. Alarmed. Up, oh, better fast. Wow, making the Lord your refuge. How many have tried fasting and praying over your situation? I hope you have. I think probably none of us have sort of begun to take that up again. 
That's what times like this does. You know, it pushes us into making the Lord our refuge. So there's a bad side. There's that enemy out there. But the good side is it's pushing us to places we always wanted to go, right? But pressure does that. Alarmed, he decides to inquire of the Lord. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So they gathered from every town in Judah to come and seek the Lord. What an amazing picture. And I want to just start. So they come up with a strategy. Okay? So they go to meet this, this king. But look what their strategy is. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Koa. Now he's got this army. They're going out. As they set out, I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of people. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Israel. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you'll be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you'll be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for the Lord endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Whoa! I'd like to try that. Okay, this million-person army is coming against you. Okay, singers, get out there in front and sing a little bit. The Ammonites and Moab, how's that for wisdom? The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir, so they start killing each other. I'm going to just say something gently and with great fear and trembling. I got a feeling our enemies are going to kill each other. I think they're going to annihilate each other. But we'll see. Because actually what's going on is a disturbance in the heavens. It's beyond men. It's a demonic disturbance. So this is the key, right? The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they had finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also artif- uh, articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah, by the way, that means praise, where they praised the Lord. That is why it's called the Valley of Barakah to this, to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and, and trumpets, and the fear of the Lord came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. And all he did was took his army, put some guys out in the front, they started singing, and the guys began to kill themselves. That's how he got his victory, right? So like what we did today, it counts. It helps. Becoming a praiser and a gazer has some changes that it makes in the atmosphere because the real enemy isn't human beings. The real enemy is demonic. As the church finds her voice, oh, see the strategy, how clear it is? Just get everybody to stay at home. Get everybody to be isolated. Whatever you do, do not let the people of God come together because when they come together, crazy stuff like this happens. The demons know that. Even the people of God don't know that. But we know what I hope. But I know. So when this isolation thing comes, you know, keep us from one another. We don't like this common worship, this praise and adoration of the Lord. It shakes us up. This is what the demons are saying, right? <laughs> so what an amazing strategy they came up with to try to keep us from one another. 
Praise and worship lead to counsel, unshakable revelation, and a glad heart. And uh, I'll just read a couple of these passages as we move on to the last part of this. Psalm chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Boy, I tell you what, I use this a lot. If I want to get a word from the Lord, I just worship God. I get a tape or a CD, just listen. And just worship God. I tell you, I get more counsel, more words from the Lord that way than almost anything. Even when we worship here, I'm always listening with that other ear. Sometimes in a worship time, I'll hear God's voice. I can't hear it when I'm alone, but when I'm worshiping with other people, somehow I, the air clears and I, and I hear God's voice talking to me. I praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always lower with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. I love these verses uh, so much. In 27, 13 to 14, just read these. I think I already read them again, but I'll just read these two. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So as long as we wait for the Lord, we keep our practice, we keep uh, the Lord our refuge, we keep plurally, corporately being, keeping the Lord our refuge, privately do it, I remain confident. And I just want to speak all of this. I remain confident of this. Come this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Could you just do that with me? Just this, this last line. Let's say, I will see the goodness of the Lord. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It just sounds good to say it, doesn't it? It just sounds good. I like to just talk. I could probably have you say that 50 more times and not wear that out. But anyway, I guess we need to move on here. All right. So let's just finish up here. If you look at the bottom of the page, it says, Finding refuge in the future, tasting the age to come. Psalm 16. Verses 8 to 11. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. I really like that little phrase there because there's so much concern about our physical bodies right now. I'm just going to declare over you, my body, your body will rest secure. My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. And while our heart's glad in this place and our tongue rejoices, can I just speak that over you? Your body will also rest secure. Isn't it interesting, this passage? I mean, in this COVID era, isn't this relevant to us? You know, you're, Some of you are worried about even sitting next to the person next to you about the COVID thing, right? <laughs> my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body. So rejoice and your body's going to be okay too. <laughs> just make the Lord your refuge, right? Now, I don't mean to be dumb about that. You've got to be careful and all that. But anyway, I, I'm not going to say that. I like that passage. That's a good passage. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will let your faithful one see decay with COVID virus or anything else. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The early church understand, understood Psalm 16, 8 to 11 to be about Jesus and us. Matter of fact, it was in per- that what I just read for you is in Peter's first sermon, the very first sermon that it was ever preached. Peter preached, put that in the text. Eternal pleasures and joy now, the good news of life and the Holy Spirit. That's you make known to me the path of joy. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So we're taking refuge in now, but also we're tasting the very age to come. Doesn't it feel like heaven sometimes when you're worshiping all together? Doesn't it? It feels like you're, you're in another place. It feels like the future. It feels like all of us gather together. That's the way it should because we're experiencing already 
these eternal pleasures of the Lord. I'm just going to finish with Ephesians 3, 14 to 20. Why don't we all stand? I love reading the scriptures. So as we pray this, we're making the Lord our refuge, and there are certain aspects of the Lord's refuge that are just so outstanding. We've already visited a lot of them. But I want you to look carefully, and as I read these passages, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14, I'm going to read these verses. Just listen to them, what he's praying for, and you can pray for these things too. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. So, when you pray, you're entering in reality. Okay? This is not an unreality zone. I just want to caution you. Now, be careful how you pray. Whatever you pray, if you're praying this, you get what you're praying for right here. Think about it. wonder if everything I'm about to pray actually happened. So, when you're looking at this as as I'm reading it, just... You can pray it with me if you like, or just, just to yourself. But look, look, this is what we're going to get. I pray, Lord, I'm praying today, that I have your glorious riches. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Lord, would you strengthen us with power in our inner being as we make you our refuge. Some of us just need strength. We just need raw strength to get through what we're going through. Lord, would you be our backbone? Would you be our energy? Would you be our courage? Encourage us. You know, the church should be different. We don't have to be crazy people, but we should have a certain positivity, a certain walk in our step, a certain thing about us, right? Because he strengthens with power in our spirit, in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, I'm praying for all of you, we should pray this together. I pray you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, not only that you could get it mentally, but you would know this in your heart, know it in your spirit. As you make the Lord your refuge, you're saying, your your experiences, know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So the Apostle Paul is praying this over the church. And he says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So this is a power that is at work within us, prayer. It's just amazing. So he's praying this. Do you think he's believing this? Do you think he's praying this just for his breath? Or does he really believe that this is possible? Is this possible, what I'm praying, that God could do this for us today? I pray that out of his glorious riches, say, you've made the Lord your refuge. So in that place of refuge, Lord, I'm praying that out of the the glorious riches in your refuge, you would strengthen me with power through your spirit and your inner being. Because I don't feel very powerful, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do, and I need some wisdom. Would you strengthen me with power? Would you make things quiet down on the inside, on the anxiety? Would you strengthen me with power? Would you make my, my, my backbone, my spiritual backbone iron? Would you make my spirit full and strong so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith? And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Lord, root and establish me in love. 
As I make you my refuge, I want to feel love. I want to feel your love. Establish me. It's going to be okay. I want to hear that voice say, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. My family's going to be okay. My jaw's going to be rooted and established me in love. Your mercy is coming to me. Your love is covering me on every side. Family members that aren't saved and other things that are undone, Lord. You're, you're rooting and establishing me in love. May, may I have power together with all the Lord's people. May you give me power to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is this love of Christ in this place of refuge. I want to know it, Lord. I want to be confident in my, my life. I want to know how wide and long and high and deep is love of Christ. We ask for that. According to this prayer, Paul's praying. He's praying for them, but we're praying for each other now. We're taking his prayer. Lord, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Lord, as we make you our refuge, show us, root us in this love of Christ and know this love that surpasses all knowledge. It goes past knowledge. And whoever is saying what, it's a love that roots us in assurance that no one can steal from us. That we, Lord, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, would you fill us with the fullness of God? You can't destroy people like that. You can't move people like that. They always win. They always finish on top, Lord. Fill us, Lord, with love. Lord. Fill us with all the fullness of God. Dominant things love, Lord. Fill us. Secure our heart. I can feel across the room that there's a number of you just making the Lord your refuge again. You know, I believe there's an impartation here of what we just prayed of love and knowledge and security how long how high how deep a return to that can you imagine if God answers that prayer you know how high how wide how long how deep is the love of Christ you're failed to all the measure of the fullness of God Christ is in your heart dwelling there you're strengthened on the inside I believe there's an opportunity to receive something just for the asking you don't have to spend hours doing this you don't have to lay out on the floor and hold your mouth just right you just can receive for some of you, it might be easier to receive coming to the front. Why don't you just come to the front? Others of you, just stay where you are. We're going to do this song. And as we're doing this, we'll just do a song here. Maybe more. I'll dismiss you after this song. But just make this a time. Just ask the Lord to just come. Ask Him to bring all the things of Ephesians 3. Ask Him to root and ground you in love. Ask Him to do it. This was a prayer from uh, Paul to the Ephesians. Make this your prayer. The glorious riches. I can grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Just do this spiritual transaction here for a moment. Just pray to God and ask Him. Just let Him rest on you. Some of you just feel the Spirit just resting. I just release this Spirit, this love in this room right now. 